if you, good morning. I am the pizza guy. <laughs> My name is Pastor Tom. It's a privilege to be with you this morning in a dry space. Amen. You would open up your Bibles and join me in James chapter 4. That's what we're going to get started in this morning. James 4, if you don't have a Bible, it's on page 848 in your pew Bibles. Um, page 848. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, take the one out in front of you and open it up. I want you to have it because we're going to be spending some time in that first 8 to 10 verses there. And um, and I want you to, to see it. I even pulled out, um, as I was preparing, I pulled out my old Bible because it had all of my notes from the last time I preached on this particular passage. And there were just so many things God spoke to me about then. And yet, at the same time, there is something new today as well. And, and I want you to have that as well. So if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. Mark it up. Do all of those things and bring it back next week. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. James says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this particular word that I believe will speak to each and every person in this room because unless we live in a hole somewhere, if we are in community, in our family, in our friends, in our workplaces, we are in the midst of conflict and you speak to that truth. And so God, I pray that my words wouldn't be my own, but they would just further illuminate the truth that you have for each of us this morning, that we may be persons of peace as you've called us to be. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I love that, that song that we sang, the, the second song, The Heart of Worship. How many of you have heard that song before, are familiar with that song? It's an old song. Um, when I came to Christ in high school, that song was popular. And the, the background to that song was that this church was fighting over the style of music and how they did worship. Now, I know it never happened here, ever, right? Every church has these kinds of discussions, and they got so bad in that particular church, they said, we're not even going to do music for this period of time. They didn't even sing. They didn't have any musicians up front because they got away from what the main thing was. And in the midst of that, the worship pastor, who didn't have a whole lot to do for those number of weeks or months, ended up feeling led by God to write that song. And that was the song they used to come out of that conflict. See, I, I find it fascinating, right? It doesn't matter where we gather. When we have two or more people come together, not only is God with us, but it sure seems as if so is conflict. 
And, and that conflict comes in our own relationships. It comes from within ourselves. I know even though I've been a Christian now for as long as I wasn't, I I've still have doubts from time to time. I still ask questions. I, I feel like faith sometimes is like that wrestling match we read in the beginning of the Bible between Jacob and the angel. But I've never, I've never left my faith in Jesus. And one of the primary reasons is because the more I've gotten to know Jesus and the more that I've read this book, the Bible, the more convinced I become that there is no better way to live life than the way we're called to live it right here. And, and case in point is in the area of conflict. Now, we're in our third week in our series, The Elephant in the Living Room. If there's one elephant in all of our living rooms, I'm guessing it's this one. It is conflict. And the author who's writing it is none other than James. James was the brother of Jesus himself. And even Jesus' own family had conflict. If you look at the Gospel of John chapter 7, you'll see that there was a time where Jesus' own brothers didn't even believe in who he was. Jesus' family was wrestling with their doubts and their questions and wrestling with their faith. And yet they moved through the conflict. James not only believed in his brother Jesus as being the son of God, but he ended up leading the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote this letter to a group of Christians. And he summarizes why he wrote the letter to begin with in chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not listen to God's word. Don't just listen to God's word. Okay, I should correct that. Don't just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. I, I share a story that I think highlights this particular passage. Probably share it once a year. is by um, Pastor Francis Chan. He said, so many of us as Christians are, are, are kind of like this. We don't follow that verse. We know God's word. We know it really well. We go to church, we listen to sermons, we've read devotions, we do all of that, but we don't do what it says. And, and James says that we're like fools. He said, it's like if I go home and my teenage daughter's room is a mess. And so I, I write out this note and I say, you need to clean your room. And I put it on her door and I go to work. And I come home and I say, did you get my notes? And she says, yes, dad, I got your notes. I got your note, and I actually sat, and the whole time I ate breakfast, I read your notes. I took it to school, and I memorized parts of your notes. I, I learned some of it in Greek. After school, I, I got some friends together. We did a little study on your notes, and we actually made these long lists of ways that I could start tackling, executing what you're calling me to do in that note. Dad, it was a beautifully written note. Thank you. And he says, did you clean your room? <laughs> well, No. <laughs> Not yet. You know, it's a silly example, but we do the same thing, don't we? In particular, we do the same thing when it comes to conflict. We've all heard sermons about conflict before, right? You've read Matthew 18, go to the person, right, for the purpose of reconciliation. You've, you've heard that sermon. You've read about forgiveness. You know Jesus says to turn the other cheek, but we still struggle to put it into practice. And we struggle not because we don't know better, but there must be something deeper going on. There must be something in the midst of conflict that is blocking us from our ability to live out the way that we are called to live out. And James knows. And not only does he know, he begins by chapter 4 just diving right into the core reason why any of us find ourselves in conflict. In James chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your, say it with me, desires 
Say that part with me again, because we're going to talk about it. Desires. Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? Now, today, I want you to be able to walk away from this message, and I want you to be able to walk away with some practical wisdom from God. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you just to close your eyes, and I want you to think about someone in your life that you deeply love, that you are in conflict with right now. And I want you to think of a significant conflict. I don't want you to think about, you know, that you argued who gets the last French fry at Culver's yesterday. Like, I want you to think about real deep conflict. Maybe somebody, somebody that you are just not seeing eye to eye with. Maybe you're not even in communication with that person right now. Maybe you blew up at that person on your way to church this morning. Whatever it is, I want you to think about that person and that conflict. And if you, if you don't have one right now, if now is a peaceful time in your life, then I want you to think about a conflict that you had in the past with someone. Maybe a conflict that that is already gone because maybe that person died and you couldn't resolve it. Or maybe the relationship unfolded. Maybe you got a divorce over it. And so whether it's a conflict right now or it's a conflict from the past, I want you to have it in your your head. And and you can open your eyes and we're going to watch a short clip between a husband and a wife And we're going to listen to their conflict. And while we're listening to their conflict, I want you to be thinking about your conflict. Let's watch. You come out here to talk about parenting styles? You know we have a sensitive daughter, Jace. She cries when you look at her sideways, never mind the tone of voice you use with her. Sorry I haven't read as many parenting books as you, but maybe she just needs to learn to cope. Not getting to read a book before bed, it's not the end of the world. You use the same tone of voice with me. Sometimes you cry when you don't get to read your Kindle at night. Me, I'm more of a Netflix guy, so it's really not Stop. a... Okay, just stop it. Everything is a joke with you. I feel like we're not communicating anymore. Okay. This is about us. Oh, you you communicate great. Yeah, with the way you undermine me all the time in front of her. And in front of everyone, for that matter. Our, Our friends, our family. You cut my legs off at the knees and it's emasculating. You do that all on your own, Jace. We're supposed to be rubbing off on each other. We're supposed to be finding the good in one another. Yeah. Not just you affecting me. So what am I missing? I feel like, like I'm the one doing all the bending. I know how much I've changed over the years. Are you you kidding me? You're, You're doing all the bending, you are. You used to. When we first got married, everything was just so... We were different. We were... We were kids. What are you not saying? I'm just saying... You never want to talk about us. (laughs) Well, that's calling the kettle black, isn't it? Coming from the person that makes indirect comments about everything I say and do. 
because you're so afraid of conflict? Why don't you just come out and say it? I'm not like you, and that's the problem, right? Well, surely I'm of some use to you. You're not just here for my benefit. I'm here for you, too. I'm just telling you that you could just And I'm lie. telling you I'm not your father. Sorry. I love you. I love her daughter. I'm not going anywhere. But I'm not your dad, and I'm being punished for the way he treated you, and then it's not fair. Right. So I guess I'm just some poster child for daddy issues. All in one sentence. Congratulations. I'm glad we got that settled. That's not what I said. You misunderstood me. I'm going to bed. We used to assume the good. We used to... We used to see the best in each other. uncomfortable isn't it not just because it's like you entered into somebody else's living room but because so many of us have been in that position haven't we it's almost like they read our diaries and put a script to it or they bugged our own front porches I, I asked you at the beginning to think about your own conflict and and if, if that relationship is still alive, if there's a current conflict going on that's inside of your head, that that's what you're thinking about, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit is going to use James' words to do a little exploratory surgery on that relationship and on you to be able to find the root cause of what it is that is causing the conflict to begin with. And, and if the relationship is over, then, then my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is going to use this as kind of an autopsy to be able to, to dig into it, to find out what happens so that we might walk away and not have the same thing happen in our future relationships. And so, so that's, that's our prayer for God's word this morning. Again, James says in, in James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires the battle in you, the battle inside of you, within you. And this just oozes out of the video that we just watched. You've got a husband and a wife. They both have desires that they are not getting met in the other person. So, so let me just ask you, you could just yell them out, what is the wife desiring from her husband? Anybody? What does she want? Communication? Yeah. Yeah, husband's not communicating. What else? Understanding? Yeah. What was that back there? Kindness. Okay. How about how about the other way? What what's the husband's desires? What does he want that he's not getting? Respect? Okay. All the dudes said that. Whoa. <laughs> I know at the last service too, I asked about the women first, and the guys were like, oh, I was like, I'll get there, right? Like respect. What else? 
Anybody else? Support, right? Maybe even more so than respect, just wants support. Now, now you look at that. You look, you look at the wife, and, and, and you look at the fact that she wants her husband to be more sensitive, to, to communicate, to, to be vulnerable. You look at the husband and how he wants his wife to be more supportive, maybe more direct in what she wants. In and of themselves, those are not bad things, are they? None of those things are necessarily bad things, and that's usually how a conflict begins. Usually a conflict begins with the desire that is inside of you. And so the first question that I want you to ask, because James is asking it about your conflict, whatever it is that you have in your head, is what do I desire? What do I desire? And that question will come up here on the screen. What do I desire? Think about your conflict. What is it in that conflict that you want? What is the desire inside of you that is not being met someplace else? I, I think about conflict with my kids. I think I referenced this last week as well. My kids are young, so it's crazy in our house. And, and they're always, there's all this stuff going on. There's all this noise. And, and I read this, this, this kind of, it's kind of a sick joke the other day. Do you know what they call a house with no children? Quiet. <laughs> See, they were kind of like, eh, you know, you know, it depends on the season of life you're in, right? If you're after that season of life, you wish there was more chaos in your life. If you're in the middle of it, you're like, yeah, I kind of get it. How many times have I said to my kids in the backseat of the minivan or, or, or in the living room or whatever it is, be quiet? It's my desire for peace and quiet, not theirs. Ask my parents, I wasn't quiet when I was a kid. Why would I expect my kids to be quiet as their kids? Now, there's nothing wrong with the desire for peace, is there? There's nothing wrong with some peace and quiet. Parents, you need to carve out time for yourselves to get peace and quiet because you know that if you're not proactive about going to the source of those things, what ends up happening is there's this battle that wells up inside of you because you're not getting those desires met. And when that battle gets to a boiling point, James says in chapter 4, verse 2, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You kill, you covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. And that's exactly what was happening in the video, wasn't it? You've got this husband and wife. She's got this desire for her husband to be a loving father, to be sensitive. He wants more support from his wife. And when they don't get what they want, they end up battling at each other. They end up saying things they're going to later regret. They end up killing with their words. The battle boils over. And they try to get their desires met. And let me tell you, that never works, does it? Like, have you ever been in a room where somebody went, be quiet, and it's quiet, but there's a difference between quiet and peace, isn't there? It could be dead silent, and it's nothing close to peaceful. Maybe you're not connecting with your spouse, and you, so you choose to, to turn to somebody else because you want to connect speaks to an inside desire, but it doesn't fix the problem. It makes the problem worse. Maybe in your argument, you desire for justice, and, and so you argue, right? You say things like, you never do this, or you always do that, and you craft your case, and you win the argument, and you walk away alone. 
And so James continues. He says, you know, once, once you, your desires are known, once you understand that they're there and, and you haven't spoken to them, you haven't gone to the source for them and they boiled over and you attack and you kill and you covet and you quarrel and you fight. Well, when that doesn't work, James continues. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. And I, I read that verse and, and I thought to myself, now that's where James is going off. Because I've asked God to fix my wife a lot of times. And I've asked him to fix my kids, and I've asked him to fix my parents, and I've asked him to fix everybody that I'm in conflict with. And it's almost like he's reading my diary because he continues in verse 3. He says, he says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong, say it with me, motives. You ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Do you, do you want to fight the battle and win the battle, or do you want to win the war? Remember Paul said last week in our message in Galatians, he said that, that we're free in Christ, but we're not called to use our freedom for our own purposes, but to serve one another humbly in love, which leads to the second question James teaches us to ask in the midst of our conflict, where, or what I should say, are my motives? What are my desires? What do I desire? What are my motives? Remember, James is digging into the flesh of your conflict. Once you know what your unmet desires are, ask yourself, what are my motives? Am I acting out of a genuine desire to restore the relationship with that person, or do I just want to get what I want? And at that point, you might say, but what I want is a good thing. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with what I want. You might say, you know what? As a matter of fact, she's really the one who's wrong in this conflict. If you knew, if you were there, you would know, you would see it. He really made the promise, and he didn't keep it, and that might be true. And James isn't even arguing blame in this moment. What he's saying is that you will never get what you want in the midst of that conflict by doing it that way. You need to do it God's way. We know God's way because we've gotten the note on our doors. We know it involves things like forgiveness and mercy and grace and love. And so, so James continues, he says, to these people that are not acting out of that operating way in the midst of their conflict. He says, you're Christians, and yet you're not acting like it in the midst of your conflict. And so he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anybody who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What he's saying is that when you're in the midst of conflict, you can handle it God's way, you can handle it the world's way, but you can't handle it both Ways And more than that, if you choose to handle it God, uh, the world's way, it's like you're cheating on God. Enmity means hatred, and that might seem harsh, but think about it. James is writing a letter to a group of people who believe in Jesus. They're following this true story of God who has not just, just loved us enough to make us, to bring us into this world, not just has he given us everything in the midst of the world that our hearts beat because he allows them to beat, but when we made mistakes, when we've fallen short over and over and over again, he sent his son Jesus to die for our punishment. He bought us back so that we could be in relationship with him. He forgave us when we did not deserve forgiveness. 
so that we could have a relationship with God that is so intimate and close that Jesus describes it like a marriage. And in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, John writes it, and he writes about this vision God gave him about what heaven is going to be like. We wonder, right? Like, what's heaven going to be like? And, and, and he says it's going to be like the most incredible wedding that you've ever seen. Revelation 21, 2, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and that's us. And he said, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. What John is describing is our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the groom, we're the bride, and we're going to live with him forever. And that's the future. Now, now I just want to say, guys, I know this is a little harder to comprehend than the women, right? Like, this might be a little bit more difficult. Like, am I going to have to wear a dress in heaven? Is that what you're saying, Pastor Tom? No. <laughs> it's just the best language. It's just the best language that he can use to describe the intimacy and the joy and the love that he wants to have with you. But here's the, the truth, folks. Today isn't the wedding. <laughs> Today isn't heaven. And you don't need me to tell you that. Because there's not going to be a need for sermons about conflict once we get to heaven. Today we're on earth. Today is the engagement. Now in Jesus' day when someone was engaged, it was as good as being married. So don't get the impression that Jesus is going to walk away. He's going to leave you at the altar, anything like that. He is committed. But today is not yet the wedding. It is the engagement. And I was thinking back on, on when uh, Alyssa, my wife, and I, when we got engaged, I, I was a little nervous. I wanted to cite the date. It was July 31st, 2007, but I was like 98% sure that was the day. And I thought, I can't say that publicly without being positive. And the only way I could be positive was asking her. And I thought that might create a conflict that I can think about tomorrow during my sermon. And so I said to her yesterday very sheepishly, I said, did I ask you to marry me on July 31st, 2007? And she looked at me and she said, I don't remember. <laughs> Oh, that's good. So I'm pretty sure, but if I'm wrong, so is she, and we're all good. And it was, it was the day before her birthday. That's why I think that's what it was. It was, it was really simple. We, we had just, um, I just moved into the home that was going to become our first home. We got married. Um, it, it was, it was, it was kind of ugly. We had like brown shag carpet and all this stuff. We ended up doing, taking that out. But, but I wasn't planning on it, and so I was going to try to distract from that. She got out of work. She stopped over there, and I put this big blanket down. It's really, really simple, really. I had the ring. I bought a bottle of wine. Neither one of us drank wine, but I thought that's it kind of goes with it. It'll take her mind off of the shag carpet, you know. And so I set that all up, and I asked her, will you marry me? And I told her, I will quote you until the day we die, because she, she we, we talked about getting married, so it wasn't like total surprise, but she didn't know it was coming that day. And so as I said, will you marry me? And she's tired, and she just got out of work, and this is so overwhelming. She looks at me, and she says, I hate you. And I said, I'm going to quote that to our kids. When I asked you to marry me, you said, I hate you. She said, of course, after that. And she was crying, and it was all good. And, and here we are. But, but it started this, this, this season for us, right? This season of engagement between that day and the day that we got married. It was just under a year. And over those months, we made plans, Plans for how we were going to live our life for the rest of our lives. We went to premarital counseling. We met with a couple that was just a few chapters ahead in life than we were. And the reason was to prepare for the way that we were about to commit to live with one another for the rest of our lives. That's why when you're engaged, you don't date other people, right? 
You prepare for the marriage. You live into it. You solidify the commitment. The anticipation brings joy like no other time in your life. James is telling us that if you follow Jesus, the marriage is coming. The marriage is coming. The engagement is here. None of us have been the perfect fiancé. We've all fallen short of the glory that he has called us into. We fight for the desires inside of us that God wants to meet. We don't pray, and then when we pray, we're praying for the wrong motives. But thankfully, verse 6, James says, he gives us more, say it with me, grace. What a beautiful word. Unmerited favor. When we fall short, he gives us more grace. And he says, that's why scripture says in Proverbs, this is in the New Testament, it was in the Old Testament, that the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the husband or to the humble and the wife, right? (laughs) Shows favor to the humble because we need grace. And so think one more time about that conflict that I asked you to think about at the beginning. The last question James presents us with is this. Where do I need grace? Where do I need grace? What is it that I am desiring? What are my motives? And where in my life do I need grace? In that conflict, you start and ask yourself, what is my part in this conflict? What is my part? And your part might not be a lot of it. You might say, well, pastor, if you were there, then you would know. I'm not, I don't know what part of the conflict is yours. It might be a very small part, but like I told you, this is more practical than the way the world is going to teach you to live because the way James is calling us and the way Jesus calls us and the way Paul calls us into conflict is to own our part, even if it's only 2%, because the truth is that's the only part you have any control over, isn't it? It's the only part that you can do anything about. And it's in owning our part of the conflict that we find resolution. Because see, isn't it owning our part of the conflict with God that draws us to him in the first place? I mean, isn't it the truth that we we look at God and we realize he's perfect and we're not? And we learn that he sent his son to die for us even though we didn't deserve it. Isn't that the very thing that draws you close to God to begin with? That he chose to come to you? It's why James says in verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. I've often wondered, and, and now my kids have asked the question, what might life have been like if all the way back at the beginning Adam and Eve never sinned? You ever wonder that? Like if they never made any mistakes, if they didn't sin, if Jesus never needed to come and rescue us and give us new life, what would happen? What would it have been like? And the truth is you can can wonder that all day long, but we're never going to know because it's too late. Just like you're never going to know what it's like to have a perfect relationship with your wife, right? Or your husband. It doesn't exist your kids, or your parents. But Jesus came instead in the midst of the conflict to lay his life down for you and for me so that we might experience life with him forever. And James says that if you profess that to be your truth, then you're called to do the same thing for others that has already been done for you. And so what is it that you desire in your heart? 
What are your motives? And where do you need grace? Could we pray? Lord Jesus, we come before you. We lay our relationships down at your feet. We lay our desires down before you, especially those desires that do not come from you, but they come from our heart that is hardened and selfish. God, we lay down our motives before you. In the times that we have been seeking out our own selfish ambitions, our desire to be right. God, we pray that you would be with us as we ask these questions. We pray for your grace, that you would give us grace in the places that we need it, in the places of forgiveness, that we would pray like David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Teach me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to everlasting. He prayed those words in the midst of what is arguably the most prominent conflict of his life. A conflict that led to death, infidelity, fighting that would happen and continue for generations in the midst of his family. But it was in the midst of a broken family like his that that later generations would bring a man named Jesus. Jesus came through the family lines of people that were broken, just like you and me. And so, God, we pray that you would take us where we're at, but that you would not leave us there, and that you would call us to your hope as we open up our eyes and as we... <laughs> 